0: begin our sermon with prayer. Eternal God and Father, keep us mindful of the shortness and frailty of this present life. Give us hearts of wisdom that we may cling in faith to Jesus, our Savior, and use the time of our pilgrimage on earth to serve him with joyful hearts, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as the title tells us, Moses wrote this psalm. This makes it the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And it's not just a hymn, it's a prayer, a prayer that people sing. We don't do that very well in English because it was written in Hebrew, so we have to sing it in English. But brothers and sisters in Christ, Moses had been God's instrument in leading the people out of Egypt and, and to the promised land, but they rebelled against God. That generation time and time again rejected the Lord till finally God's grace had had enough. And he said, not a single one of this generation will enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses was allowed to see the promised land, but he was not allowed to enter it either because of a different sin he had committed in disobeying the word of the Lord. So Moses led the people in the desert as they wandered for 40 years. And every day he watched that generation pass away, one after the other dying. Today's theme is Last Judgment, but this psalm focuses on the fact, and you could summarize it by basically saying life stinks and then you die if you want to get right down to the brass tacks. But you see, the truth of the matter is, the day you die is the day you face judgment. Unless you're the generation when Christ returns, then you get to escape death. And so today as we look at this psalm, this prayer, we'll ask questions to ask as we meditate upon life, And judgment. And the very first question that we want to ask is the one that especially unbelievers cry out, what gives God the right to judge? Everybody has pet sins and things they want to do. And you often hear this question in various formats. What gives, who gives God the right? What kind of a loving God would send somebody to hell? How can God expect this? The Question comes in many ways, but it all boils down to what gives God the right to judge? Verses 1 and 2 answer that very quickly. Let's go to verse 2 first. We're told, even before the mountains were begotten, or you brought forth in labor pains the earth and the world, you are from everlasting to everlasting, O God. Number one, what gives God the right to judge? He created you. He created the world. He's the creator. The creation doesn't get to tell the creator how to do his job. The creation's below him. What gives him the right to judge? He created us, period. End of discussion. This world is his. The devil wants you to think differently, but it's his. Second thing, he's everlasting. As our psalm said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God is above time. Who made God? Nobody. God existed. God created time. God is infinite. If you want to have infinite life, what we call eternal life, a mortal can't give it to you. They're going to die too, just like you and I are going to die. But God is everlasting. He's the only one who can give eternal life. Now let's turn to verse 1. Because verse 1 is pure grace. Oh, he says, Oh, Master, the Hebrew word that he uses for the Lord is Master here, Master of the universe. Oh, Master, you yourself have been a dwelling place for us generation after generation. What gives God the right to judge? It's not just that he created you. He shelters and protects you. He sends rain on the believing farmer's land just as much as the unbeliever in farmer's land. He gives the unbeliever jobs and sometimes gives them more pleasures in this world than you or I because they are going to hell. But He is our shelter. And the greatest shelter He has given us is eternal life. He became part of this transitory world, this world subject to decay. He took on our human flesh He lived perfectly for you and I, and he died so that you and I could have eternal life, and he rose to guarantee that. What gives God the right to judge? The simple truth of the matter is because he saved the world. There's no reason for somebody to go to hell other than their own vehement rejection. The question, what gives God the right to judge, is really trying to say it's unfair, But how fair can you be that you offer eternal life, you created and you've redeemed creation that rebels against you, and you still offer a life and yet it rejects it. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what gives God the right to judge? He's eternal, he made us, and the big one, he saved us. Period. He offers us salvation. So the next question to ask as we meditate upon life and judgment, how long are you going to live? Verse 3 tells us what time is to God because he's eternal. Time after time you return people to powder. Indeed, you say return, sons of Adam. In fact, a thousand years in your sight are like a day, like yesterday when it passes by and like a watch in the night. See, God created time. He's above time. We don't have people who take night watches so much. Now, it used to be a four-hour shift in which you would watch in case foreign invaders were coming and stuff. But the rest of the town slept, so they didn't even notice it had happened. A thousand years are are, are like yesterday, just going by to God. And that's the eternity he gives us, brothers and sisters in Christ. But in the meantime, it's interesting. In verse three, it said, uh, indeed, you say return sons of Adam. The name for Adam is also the name for dirt or earth. God had told Adam, when you bite from that tree, you're surely going to die. And he had formed us out of the dust. So he returns us to the dust. Death is unnatural to us. He didn't create us to die. Death kind of stinks, doesn't it? Every time I see a loved one go or a friend, it hurts. Time after time, you return people to powder. Life is short, brothers and sisters in Christ. I remember a Christmas Eve, my wife and I pushing my oldest son down a hill in a, in a lime green Volkswagen Beetle pulling up and the man unrolling the window and saying, enjoy it while it lasts, they grow up so fast. Where did those 12 years go since that day? It happened quickly. Life really is short. Moses spells that out with verse 5. You sweep them away in a flood. Time after time they are asleep in the morning. You ever wake up in the morning, something on your mind, and you roll over and all of a sudden the alarm clock's going off, you don't even realize you've been asleep, bam, it's over. Like the grass sprouts and passes on. In the morning it sprouts, yet in the evening it passes on. Towards the evening it withers and then it dries up. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we ask, how long are you going to live? 70, 80 years? Very, very few people get to see 100. In the meantime, it's miserable. Our bodies, we get arthritis and illness. The older I get, the more older people than me say, get used to it, kid. It hurts, and it's only going to get worse. Life goes by fast. We better be prepared to die. And the only way you can truly be prepared to die is to know the Lord your Savior, who gives you eternal life, then it is just a separation of the soul from the body. The next question we ask though then, since life goes by so fast and it seems so miserable, why do we die? Moses answers that with verses 7 through 9. For we are consumed in your anger and we are terrified in your wrath. God had warned, when you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. There's only two sinners who were spared death in human history. You know, Elijah, the prophet, they were sinners. It was a special act of God's grace. And yet the eternal God who cannot die took on our human flesh so that he could be holy in our place, so that he could suffer his justice instead of us. He died even though he was innocent so that you and I can have eternal life. Verse 8 has an interesting word for sin. It's The word is when you take God's will and you just twist it to serve your own. And and aren't we really good at that? We really are just twisting a little bit so that it suits our purposes. But verse 8 says, You set our twistings of your holy will before you. What? Kid's parent says, be home by midnight. So the kid sits in the driveway 12, 12, 30 and think they've twisted the wheel and find out. No, dad meant in the door and now you're grounded, right? These are the kinds of things we do, but they sit before God. And in fact, verse eight clarifies that are hidden things in the illumination of your presence. That is scary, brothers and sisters in Christ. I can lie to myself about my sins. I can hide my sins from myself and so can you. But you can't hide them from God. And the wages of sin is death. I'm told in verse 9, In fact, all our days slip away in your fury. We finish our years like a moan. Oh. This psalm doesn't seem to be too happy, does it? Why do we die? The wages of sin is death. And it points out to us that we need a Savior. Someone who is eternal. Going back to our very first question, and we're thankful that He came. So now we got to ask, well, if... Our life is short and then we die. What is the meaning of life? Verse 10 says, As for the days of our years in them are 70 or 80 years if we have the strength, yet the best of them are toil and trouble. If you think the meaning of life is to have the nicest car and the luxuries life can offer and the roof over your head, you will toil and you will struggle and you will lose sleep to keep them. All it takes is a stock market crash or some some crooked-minded individual to come along and you can lose it all. Boom, gone. He who dies with the most toys wins is not the meaning of life. In fact, that is a pretty miserable life. For they pass away quickly and we fly away Who is the one that knows the power of your anger? Brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't get life until you understand God's holy wrath against sin. And the ultimate power of His anger is an eternity of hell. I cannot imagine heaven. It's perfect and we do not live in a perfect world. It's been subject to decay. And it scares me to think no matter how miserable I can imagine hell, it's worse than that. And that is the power of God's anger. One of the very first things that we need to know is that God is holy and we are not. You cannot appreciate that you are saved until you understand what you've been saved from. Verse 11 also says, yet your wrath is proportionate to the fear that is due you. Now the Hebrew word for fear, yare, can, be, can mean two different things depending on who you're talking about. The first is terror. To look at God's holy law and recognize, I break that every day in my thoughts alone. And then you're afraid, afraid of hell of the power of God's wrath. And yes, that is, God's wrath is proportionate to people should at least look at him and say, wow, your will is holy, I really should do my best to keep it, knowing I can't. But the other thing that that means, and it only means this for believers. A believer who knows Jesus as their Savior, they look at God's wrath, they look at his power, know it could have been used to destroy them, and instead it was used to save them. So in that case, fear means standing in reverent awe. God puts that reverent awe in your heart when he sends his Holy Spirit working through baptism and the word to ensure you that Jesus has died for you. Then you have that reverent awe. Then God's wrath to you is something that you know Jesus has paid for. It doesn't become an excuse to sin for you. Instead, because you love your Lord, you want to try to keep his law in order simply to thank him because you have that reverent offer him. We're told, bring us to know, know how to count our days correctly and we will get a heart of wisdom. Man's wisdom is being able to make technology and things like that. God's wisdom is that you know him as your Savior. And when you know Him as your Savior, that Holy Spirit in your heart is work, and He draws you continually back to the Word, so that every day you have before your eyes the fact that you are a redeemed child of God. Living in forgiveness. Your life now is spent exhaling, confessing your sins, and breathing in the wonderful, refreshing air that tells you God has forgiven you. And this is how you count your days aright. You getting it? The meaning of life is to know God as your savior. He created you to redeem you and love you. And then once you do know him, you spend your time staying in that knowledge and sharing that knowledge. So Moses says in verse 14, let your committed love satisfy us in the morning and we will shout with joy and we will rejoice in all our days. We've gone from miserable days being told life stinks and then you die to, Lord, let us know your committed love and we'll rejoice all our days. Isn't it good when a friend passes away to know I'm going to see them in heaven again? When a loved one goes that you're separated from and it hurts to say there's going to be a family reunion, a reunion in Christ. There's a joy in knowing that while this world tempts us, that God keeps us in his word. And there's a joy in getting to share that news with others. So verse five says, cause us to rejoice for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen distress Moses could pray this simply for the people because an entire generation was to pass away before they could enter the promised land. Let the next generation know you and embrace you, Lord. But you know what? The Lord answers this prayer for you and I. He's not just going to give you rejoicing for as many days as we've suffered the toils of this world, 70, 80 years. He's going to give you an eternity of paradise. What is the meaning of life? To know God in his grace, God created you to redeem you and love you. And once you are redeemed, then the meaning of life is to continually stay in that redemption and to grow in it. So the last question we asked was, as we've gone through this psalm and seen how miserable life is, and now, oh, okay, I'm saved. How can I thank God? That's our last question to meditate on. Verse 16 says, Let your work appear to your servants and your splendor over their sons, God hides himself. He works behind nature. He doesn't do this to be mean. When you want to know salvation, he often sends some weak, frail human being to tell you that Jesus has died for you. In fact, the world would laugh at the wisdom of that. God becomes a man, allows himself to be beaten, allows himself to be crucified. So it actually takes the eyes of faith to be able to see the hand of God. It takes the eyes of faith to trust when when the miseries and the toils are coming upon us to say, but God, God has something in mind and He's using this for my good. So we thank the Lord by being in the Word so that we can constantly be assured of His work for us. And it gives us the faith and strengthens the faith to be able to trust in it and see it. And so verse 17 wraps it all up. It says, And may the beauty of the Master, our God, be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands upon us. Lord, don't let us just toil away in labor. Yes, our body needs the physical things and you give us the health to do that. Establish that. But also as we gather to hear your word and share it, strengthen that. Establish it. Let my children grow up believers and know you, Lord. Let my neighbor hear your word and come to trust in you. Establish that work. How can I thank God? Stay in the word. God will be glorified through you. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we've gone through this psalm that tells us life stinks and then you die, we find there's wonderful joy. We ask questions as we meditate upon life and judgment. What gives God the right to judge? First and foremost, he's the one who saved you. Secondly, he's the one who created everything. How long are you going to live? Life is short. How are you going to spend it? Why do we die? Because of sin, and yet God gives us eternal life. What is the meaning of life? To know the salvation God has given to you. Stay in it and share it. How can I thank God? Be in that word, and his work will be established among you. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, and evermore shall be. Amen.